My name is Craig Pickett. I'm an executive recruiter. More than a decade ago, I started my practice for one purpose, to use my experience as a former military aviator, business jet sales executive, and P&L leader to help aviation and aerospace companies and their executives be fast, adaptable, and strategic. I do these podcasts to inspire and inform, but more importantly, they are a focused platform to help business leaders grow. Welcome to the Aerospace Executive Podcast. Hey, welcome back. I've got uh, Dan Katz with me. Dan is the founder, CEO of a company called Orbital Sidekick. Um, Orbital Sidekick, or OSK for short, is providing hyperspectral. Am I right? Is that how we pronounce it, Dan? <laughs> you got it. He's like monitoring from, uh, like he's got a new satellite business that's pro- providing uh, uh, spectral monitoring for the oil and gas industry. I noticed you're doing some stuff for the DOD. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting what you're doing because back in my day, we had sold some airplanes to some people who were kind of doing the same thing using Gulf Streams mm-hmm. for environmental monitoring for the, you know, you know for the same thing that you're, you're taking up in the space. So, so welcome, uh, welcome to the podcast and uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So now that I've totally blown OSK's business, as I introduced you, <laughs> tell us what tell us what you're up to, what it's all about. So, I mean, the, the tagline kind of is that Orbital Sidekick provides global persistent monitoring services to the energy sector by way of uh, hyperspectral satellite imagery and analysis. Um, but as we briefly talked about right before this, um, you know, one of the big things that we're really focused on is providing uh, real value to our end users, which are initially oil and gas pipeline operators. And, and we're, we're attacking a very specific problem um, that, that's per- pervasive throughout infrastructure monitoring more broadly. Uh, but, but again, we're really focused on oil and gas pipeline monitoring specifically as our initial market play, uh, because there's a big problem with the way that we monitor energy infrastructure today, it's very inefficient, it's, it's costly, it's subjective. Um, so for oil and gas pipeline monitoring specifically, you have uh, basically have these, these operators who have millions of miles of pipeline across just North America, and they're flying these, these crop dusters, basically these small Cessna aircraft. Uh, and you have a young pilot who's just trying to build up flight hours so they can move on to bigger and better things. They're flying around, flying over these pipelines and sticking their head out the window and trying to see if there's if there's any kind of leak on these pipeline rights of way or if there's a security threat or construction activity. Um, and if they see something, uh, maybe they'll, they'll jot something down, write a you know, handwritten note or uh, maybe a text message or phone call. Um, and if you're lucky, you'll get like an Excel spreadsheet with some mild marker notes. It's kind of the extent of the technology involved here. Um, and so this is kind of our first line of defense against something is a very important piece of infrastructure. Also, you know, pipelines, they're, so they're everywhere. It's millions of miles. They're old, much like the rest of our nation's infrastructure, mm-hmm. right? They're all you know, 60 years old. So they leak, you know, the Pipelines account for about 40% of all uh, methane emissions in the U.S. Uh, and and that, you know, so natural gas is a big part of it, but also um, there's there's big oil spills. And there have been some very ho- high profile incidents that unfortunately occurred. I'm, I'm from San Francisco. There's a, 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 a natural gas explosion um, in San Bruno, which is in the Bay Area here. Uh, unfortunately, uh, 
like eight people lost their lives. There have been other high profile incidents as well. So it's kind of a, you know, it, it's top of mind. It, it's, it's a, you know, it's even a, it's a, there's an, certainly an economic toll. The pipelines are logistics, it's a logistics business. You're moving product from point A to point B. Um, you are, uh, so, so if there's a leak or some incident, you have to shut it down. The operator's going to lose money. It's not good for them. There's an environmental toll. If there's a leak, obviously you're, there's billions in remediation or in environmental damages that have occurred. And then the remediation cost to clean up those efforts is, is substantial. And then, like I said, there's a human toll, right? There's been, uh, unfortunately, considerable uh, you know, loss of life and, and injuries um, due, to these, due to some of these incidents. So all of that together, and, and our first line of defense is some kids sticking their head out the window of the crop <laughs> duster is a bit disconcerting. Uh, and it really hasn't. And, and if you ask the operators themselves, they are not very, um, you know, they, they no one really likes their aerial program. It's this kid kind really of a nuisance. This, this kid doesn't I mean, really care. I, yeah. He's just trying to get his flight hours anyway. I mean, I'm probably going to piss some people off if they hear this in the industry. They say, oh, no, we're, we're more uh, robust than that. And that, right. you know, but I'm taking kind of the, the, the bottom average here. Um, and there are there are companies there are operators now that are leaning into mm-hmm. new solutions and, and better better options and and so some have looked at well maybe we can do drones but we'd have to deploy thousands of drones and you right. can't do beyond line of sight anyway so you have it, have to have someone a pilot operating it and all this crap so it's really difficult to do anyway w- this is a problem that's tailor made for the space sector. Yeah, we have we have this huge amount of infrastructure all across not just North America but globally. It needs persistent monitoring, and you need the ability to see the unseen a lot of times because ninety percent of pipelines are buried underground. So you're not going to see with the naked eye these huge leaks. If there's a leak, it's generally going to start developing early underground. So you need to be able to see very. Uh, very defined, you know, early like chemical changes in the surrounding environments. And, and so that's why hyperspectral yeah. is really critical to pick that up. So what you'll notice is that like, I didn't, when you asked me what we're doing, I did not dive into like, oh, here's our satellites that we're building. And here's a, that cool technology and all that, because that's, I mean, I'm more than happy to talk about it and we will talk about it because it is really cool. And I'm at, at my heart, I am a, a space geek and a nerd and I, I love space but um the critical thing and again we, we talked about this right before this is that we the, the the space industry is now becoming mature enough that i think we can we can focus on end users that are outside of the space industry right sure. we don't have to we don't have to be like okay i'm another you know, so much of the commercial space sector has been almost like incestuous in, in its in its approach to finding customers. And it's kind of like this VC is basically funding this other VC's venture and mm-hmm. and kind of and it's all kind of staying within this closed loop space ecosystem, which is not sustainable, right? We need to to demonstrate to the world that this commercial space sector, this new commercial space sector is actually providing solutions to real world problems that are outside of the space sector. And that is what is absolutely vital for the growth. And I think people are finally latching on, right? I mean, you know, I, I don't want to dismiss completely historically because I used to work for a company called uh, Space Systems Plural, 
which is kind of traditional sure. space, but, and they provided value in space that sectors outside, but it was almost exclusively telecom, right? Telecom has, has mm -hmm. been the dominant commercial space focus for the last few decades, right? Mm -hmm. And for good reason, because lots of good money and that was a great use case, but everything else has just been trying to find product market fit and, and see how the, else they can expand beyond telecom. So mm -hmm. this is, so with Earth Observation, I think, you know, beyond the US government, which is like the largest purchaser of, of EO data by orders of magnitude, um, you know, how do you find commercial product market fit? Uh, and so that's why we've spent the last few years really making sure that our constellation of hyperspectral satellites and the and, and the the information that we derive from the data that we capture can be applied to our to our, the problems of our end users and our customers and actually provide value. Um, and so that's why I dove right into here's the problem we're we're solving initially. Now it's pretty narrow because the other thing too is that the trap that I think that a lot of earth observation or other commercial space companies can fall into is they say, well, our technology is like the holy grail of everything and we can solve all problems that have ever existed and will ever mm -hmm. exist. And, and we can do anything and everything. And if you say that, like almost guaranteed, you can do almost nothing. <laughs> You're not going to succeed in, in anything, right? So you, yeah. you need to make sure that you can solve at least one important problem and do that extraordinarily well mm -hmm. and then for, and then show that it is a scalable solution that can be applied to other markets so that's well, been the, our hypothesis from the beginning yeah the, right, well, I, look, i've been talking a while <laughs> no 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 so you look it goes it's interesting like you know so the your the you know what you guys are doing orbital, orbital sidekick is doing it's a real problem i mean going back to the the mid 90s when i was with gulfstream aircraft we were selling airplanes to the danish air force and what was Denmark doing with those? They were using those for coastal maritime patrol, mainly be, mainly because commercial ships were dumping toxic pollutants, oil, sludge from their villages into mm -hmm. the Danish coastal waters. So you know, it would leave a you know, but but once again, what are you going to do? You got to keep an airplane up twenty four seven with right. the crew. It's a very expensive thing. Mm -hmm. And and now I'm you know in the oil and gas industry, yeah. So I'm a big investor in the pipeline. Um, mm -hmm. you, I take it, you could take your debt, your imagery, match it to some sort of machine learning. And now you've got a 24 hour, 24 seven type of system where you're not worried about the kid in the crop duster who's just worried about getting his hours. You're, you've got a legitimate system. We say we are 24 seven monitoring and you could take that to the Sierra Club and say, hey, this is why our pipelines are much safer than, than years past. So it's a real, it's, it's sure, a I mean, real deal. It's a win-win, right? I mean, right. no one loses in this situation. There's no, everyone is better for it um, with this, with a better solution for monitoring infrastructure. And so, because it, it's, yeah, it's How big are your satellites? It's a, so yeah, I mean, the, the satellites, the great thing is, you know, if, if we had built this, you know, 10, 15 years ago, our satellites would weigh a thousand kilograms and cost, you know, $50 million a pop or a hundred million dollars pop. Now we're looking, we're, we're squarely in the small sat or microsat class. So we're a hundred kilograms um, and, in, you know, integrated 
Uh, and, and so that enables us to, you know, we, with, a, you know, we leverage COTS components, but we also have space rated stuff too, kind of like the, the uprated um, components. Uh, and so, but for hundred kilos, you can launch on a SpaceX rideshare for $5,000 a kilo. So you're spending $500,000 to launch a, a satellite. I mean, that's nothing. Um, today. And, yeah. and so, you know, so at, we're, we're launching satellites fully, you know, we, we build, test, launch and commission our satellites for $4 million a pop. And, and that's, that's just unheard of for the capability we're able to, to get um, or, well, I mean, it's not unheard of anymore. It, it was unheard of. So it, it's crazy how, how much the, the system is or how the industry has changed. Like I said before, I used to work at SSL. I was building this massive geostationary communication satellites that are, that are as big as a, you know, a, a conference room. Um, and yeah, those are multi hundred million dollar programs. Um, and that's just, you know, it, it's, there's still a place for some of those, but, you know, I think we're seeing a, a huge amount of capability being able to be extracted by these smaller sets. Yeah, I think about Sirius XM, you know, when Sirius XM mm-hmm. launched 20 years ago, yep. it was 20, probably 20, 25 years ago, you know, were, yeah, yeah, it was, it was gajillions of dollars to launch, put their satellites up into space. Yep. I, I don't know what it would cost today, but I could, I could guess it's probably 10 cents on the dollar. Right? Yeah. I mean, they're, yeah, no, even when I was, I was at SSL from uh, beginning of 2012 through 2016. And even in just that four or five year period, um, we saw the, the cost drop from uh, considerably, you know, probably by at least 25 to 40% um, just within, within that sector. Now I'm looking at you look at low earth orbit stuff and the internet mm-hmm. from space, and it's, it's going to be a whole new day in the next, it's going to be really wild to watch yep. how this mm-hmm. transforms. But so what's your, what's your business model? Is it, you know, are you, are you going to enterprise products and marathon and all the, the big, uh, you know, the big, uh, pipeline operators and set them up on a, you know, annual subscription. Is it, uh, is that kind of how it, is that kind of how it all works? Yeah, that's the direction we're heading. So we've been operating a lot on kind of initial pilot programs and smaller initial contracts to demonstrate the viability of of what we're doing. Um, So generally, uh, but, but the goal is, and and we've started to get more traction on this. um, We've started to get more and more of these initial contracts is to, get to a either you know a monthly or annual subscription where what you're effectively paying for is you know you're not pay, you're not buying a satellite you're not buying hyperspectral data or imagery you're you're paying for access uh, to our web-based user platform um, that we call Sigma um, so Sigma stands for spectral intelligence global monitoring application so yeah it, it, it's like an enterprise uh, SaaS platform and so what we're doing is we're saying here you're you're subscribing to this to this platform. Uh, you get to see the you know the your, your asset and your, all of your assets and and any findings that we have. You know so whether that's some kind of uh, contamination event that that we've detected or an intrusion or encroachment along the right of way, security threats, uh, landslide events, um, soil disturbances. Uh, so anything that falls within as a baseline that that covers the uh, FEMSA DOT or DOT FEMSA um, regulatory compliance uh, guidelines, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, we cover that, that so that kind of eliminates your need for aircraft. Um, and then on top of that, we provide higher value added um, capabilities such as detecting underground early leaks or soil disturbances from uh, encroachments and vegetative changes that could uh, uh, really uh, indicate underlying issues that could put your asset at risk. So those are, and that's all delivered through Sigma. And so that's what you're paying for. That's the subscription model you're, you pay for. And that can be, so Sigma is the backbone of kind of you know, both our analytics platform and, and our user user facing you know customer portal. But it's, it's we built it scalably. So you can apply this to other sectors. So it's not like Sigma is uh, monolithic and, and only geared towards oil and gas pipeline monitoring. Uh, we also use Sigma. Uh, so we, we have uh, contracts um, with uh, the Department of Defense. So with the US Air Force, we have, we have a pretty decent contract with them. Um, and the intelligence community is very interested in what we're doing and building. So we leverage Sigma to deliver products to, to that sure. sector as well. Sure. Yeah, I saw like you know DoD. You can use it for chem warfare type stuff or chemical events. Sure. Or yeah. Like L- lots that. of stuff they won't tell me about either. They'll just say, "Please just give us the data." Just give us, just give us access. It. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah. That's exactly. uh, no uh, no doubt. That's pretty cool. I love it. Hey, so let's let's switch gears a little bit. You're you're a pretty sure. young guy. So you, you you came out of corporate America and you you know, founded your company. What was the biggest challenge or yeah, how did you get from, you know, being a, a you know, a, an R&D engineer to the CEO of a, a startup and you know, all, all the fun, you know, learn about all the fundraising and all the, uh, sure. all the, all the challenging stuff that you're doing that nobody really knows about in the background. Well, you know, I mean, part of it uh, is through osmosis. I think I, I'm I'm was born and raised in San Francisco, so I've seen a lot. Even in my, I mean, I'm not that young. I would say I'm still. Uh, I'm, I'm not like a 21 year old, you know, undergrad from Stanford that's coming out with some crazy app idea. But the, you know, I, I I've been around. I, I think I, I've I've been able to see quite a bit how you know some a couple of boom and bust cycles and seeing how this innovation cycle has been accelerating lately. Um, and, and so, you know, when I was at SSL, we were literally right next door to Google. So, you know, you're, you're in that environment every day. And I obviously have lots of peers and friends and everything that were, were in that environment as well. Um, so, you know, we weren't, I wasn't, I didn't have blinders on. Um, and that was part of the reason that, so my co-founder Tushar Prabhakar, um, he also he has um, he also has a wealth of connections within that kind of VC community as well. When the two of us were working at SSL together, we you know we we kind of saw that all this innovation occurring. We were also working at the time at SSL. We were working on the SkySat constellation for Skybox, so we were seeing kind of this firsthand. I was able to touch this new the new space economy that's occurring and. So, and, and I was working on a lot of advanced systems programs as well with a lot of these, um, you know, doing proposal work for uh, for startups that were trying to raise capital to um, get their business off the ground. So, you know, we were definitely kind of in it at um, throughout, and and so it was it was pretty natural, right? It was, it was kind of like, well, this is, you know, we. we it, it, this is the time to do it, and this we are we're in the location to do it as well. I mean, Silicon Valley is certainly 
um, breeds that kind of uh, mentality. And, mm -hmm. and, and, and so it was interesting when we decided to pull the trigger and said, well, yeah, we can, we're going to leverage our collective backgrounds. I've, I've got a background in um, astronomy and astrophysics and, and, and physics. So that's how I knew that's kind of my, my technical background with hyperspectral um, mm -hmm. leveraging, uh, leveraging high spectral resolution uh, imagery for celestial objects. Um, but obviously now we're pointing it back down at earth. Uh, that also worked on some multi-billion dollar infrastructure projects before getting into space. Um, and my co-founder Tushar had worked for some energy startups previously. He worked for Calera, which is like a carbon sequestration, you know, turning CO2 into cement with various degrees of success. Um, but they were a, a big, you know, green energy startup. Mm -hmm. uh, I was also worked on some other, other ones as well. So kind of combined all that together. And we said, well, let, this is the time to do it. The new space economy is taking off. Um, we've got a great business plan and model to go after within the energy sector and leverage this new technology and this global monitoring platform that forms small sats. So it all kind of worked together. It's like a confluence of technology and timing and product market fit. And so by the time we got around to deciding, well, yeah, this is, we're going to we're going to quit SSL. We're going to work on this full time. This is our big idea. We're going to go forward. A lot of people said, wow, I'm surprised you're taking the risk. It's a big risk for you to go do this. And my response to that really was, well, I, actually, I think this is the safe play. I mean, maybe that's arrogant to say that I was betting on ourselves that much, but I was basically right. saying that, you know, okay, I could, I can either go take this chance, but what we think we're highly confident is going to be successful or I can stay in corporate, you know, in a, in a big bureaucratic company um, that, you know, and, and kind of, you know, have a very slow career trajectory and maybe, you know, wind up, I don't know, you know, having a, a nice retirement party at some point that like that seemed much riskier, right. That, that, that slow, you know, uneasy career trajectory and, and being left behind, right. That felt more risky than taking than, than going off and, and starting Orbital Sidekick. I talked to, I, I said it to a lot of people, you know, you, if you're willing to bet on yourself, bet on yourself. I mean, yep. it's, uh, you know, hey, look, if it doesn't work out, yeah, you're, you've met a lot of investors, you've met a lot of smart people. And it, it's interesting that you talked about, you know, hey, I grew up in kind of the Silicon Valley. So, you know, it's, yep. a, it's, it's an environment of entrepreneurship. It's an environment of ideas. Yep. You talk about, it, it kind of enhances that importance of surrounding yourself with, with really smart people mm. where you can, you, you sort of feed off each other's energy. In a right. Lot of ways. And, and I also want to, I mean, we, we certainly did not do this by ourselves by any means. Um, and so, and, and so being in this environment and having uh, in, in this location, you also have a lot of passionate people within the space sector. I feel like everyone's rooting for, for everyone else, right? There's not a lot of like really, hardcore rivalries happening yet in this because we're still early enough that kind of, you know, rising tide raises all boats, I think, in this sector still, um, with some exceptions. But but for the most part, I think people are generally rooting for everyone to succeed. That helped us a lot, too. I mean, we, we leaned on, a, like, as many uh, people who would give us free advice or mentorship or, you know, and we brought on great advisors um, to help uh, mm -hmm. in, in every area. And, and that's critical, right? You can't do this in a vacuum. Um, so, you know, right. We, we bet on ourselves. 
we cashed in every single favor that was owed to us, every single, um, you know, third level connection on LinkedIn, we could possibly leverage, you know, just everything you possibly could do to get your foot in the door with the right people you do, right? This is the, t- you don't, don't hold back, right? That you just, if this is your big idea, then cash everything in and, and go for it. And that's how you, you know, and that's how we were able How'd you to focus succeed. on spectral analysis? I mean, your, your background, I mean, was it, was it something that came out of, was it Tushar who came out of that background or was it so, just a need that somebody said, Hey, look, this is something that's really happening. Was it an aha moment? Um, I mean, it was kind of a, an, an evolution of, I mean, I, I had, I had used high spectral resolution data, uh, at school, uh, when I was doing physics and astronomy. Um, and so that was my kind of initial exposure to it and saw how powerful it was. Um, and also, you know, and, and so since then I'd always keep kept track of things like if, uh, you know, there was, there'd always be, you know, crazy instruments that were sent on Mars rovers or, you know, lunar uh, instruments that would, you know, look, you know, spectrometers uh, to look at high spectral data, mm-hmm. high resolution spectral data on, on those missions. And, and they could find, you know, crazy insights on the, the, the composition of, of these, uh, these planets. And, uh, and so it was just kind of made sense, you know, that what we also said, well, what is the, you know, what's also lacking in this space infrastructure that's being built right now. And there's this huge, huge emphasis on uh, spatial resolution. Like let's get the pixel, the spatial pixel as small as possible because we wanna be able to read a newspaper over someone's shoulder from space, right? Like that's, that it was like, an, it's like an obsession. And, and there's absolutely, you know, great use cases for that. And I'm not trying to, um, you know, knock that by any means but it's it's certainly flooded with a lot of people going after that um and those use cases so we said well that's that's pretty crowded and i think there's some smart people who are you know done well there let's focus on but no one's really focusing on this uh, this huge amount of depth within the pixel like why are we just you know okay so yeah okay you get this pixel really small but you're only getting like three data points out of it you're getting like a red green and blue you know uh, color band why, why are we not, why are we ignoring the fact that we can get hundreds of color bands within that pixel? And that opens up wealth, a wealth of information that people are just ignoring. And this is insane. So it, it kind of, and then, and, and it's, and it's really, really well suited for the energy sector. Um, so because if you're doing chemical fingerprinting, you know, go, go after the petrochemical industry, mm-hmm. go after, uh, you know, you can go after extraction and exploration and, um, you know, offshore facilities. I, there's all. There's so many different things you can do uh, within that, and then, and, the, and then you know, and then parallel industries with that, looking at exploration for mining and, and minerals, rare earth elements, and uh, lithium and cobalt, and all these great things that you can do with this technology. And it just wasn't being utilized at, in a scalable method. It had been kind of relegated to academia mm-hmm. or like very small commercial applications on on aircraft. Um, or like first world governments using it for like right. black ops. And now everybody can use it. I mean, I, I take it, you know, a small country can, you know, Lithuania, if they need it, they can, they can 
pay you some money, sign up, dial into the website, kind of get a, you know, get a geo placement and start to do, or is it, is it that simple? <laughs> uh, no. It's, it's not, well, it's a little bit more complicated, partly because there are still some regulations on what type of, of hyperspectral data we can disseminate to certain organizations. So mm-hmm. because our data is unique and very high resolution, um, we have restrictions placed on us by um, NOAA, you know, the uh, National mm-hmm. Oceanic Atmospheric Association. So. Uh, we have a commercial remote sensing license that limits some of our ability to directly distribute our highest resolution data, not just to foreign countries, but even to just co- even domestic commercial entities. So this is actually part of the reason why we don't sell um, hyperspectral imagery directly to our customers, um, because we, we, we extract the information from that imagery and then just deliver the information. You know, like, here's okay. the... Here's the GPS location of your leak, as opposed to here's the hyperspectral data set. You, here's what it you looks figure like it out. Here's what right? it looks like. like. It, that's it's. I, we, we can give them a, a kind of a, a false color representation of, of what that leak will look like, mm-hmm. but we don't we don't put the onus on our customers to to do the analysis. Like I, I've got a room full of PhDs that that do that. Right. Like that, mm-hmm. that's, that's a, it's a complicated process and, and it's, you know, controlled by regulation and ITAR mm-hmm. and all, all these other things. So, okay. um, although, but, but we, we, we can partner with, um, with, with foreign uh, governments as well. And actually we are required, like, like if I took imagery over Lithuania itself, I would have to offer the Lithuanian government access to that imagery. But if Lithuania wanted imagery over the U.S., that would be a different story. Different story, right? Yeah. So it's 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 not that simple. It, it, yeah. So well, but and this is a problem that any commercial remote sensing company, you know, space uh, mm-hmm. company has, um, or maybe not a problem, but it, it's a it's something you have to you have to work with NOAA to um, you know work within the confines of these regulations because these are powerful technologies and and. But I mean, so that's the the you know, the great thing about satellites, and the terrible thing about satellites is that right. you can access anywhere, anytime. I mean, it's 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 pretty crazy. But you know, so you have to put some, um, you know, some some checks and balances in there. Yeah. So so two things along those lines. So yeah, and I don't know about it. So talk, you talk people talk about, hey, look, is the I mean, space is a big place, but everybody's talking about mm-hmm. kind of the, the low Earth orbit or just above low Earth orbit getting very crowded. Mm-hmm. A lot of space junk up there. Is that real? Is it fiction? You know, what's the, uh, you know, yeah. what's that going to look like? And what's that going to look like in 20 years? How long are your satellites good for? I, I take it there. You know, you know it's, uh, you know. They do come well, back and they do come back into Earth. They, and- they do, and and another another plug for for NOAA here. They they do require you and your license to to have a decommissioning plan, and and so it, you know it's kind of standard practice to have your your satellite fall back into the atmosphere within 20, 20 or twenty five years okay. um, uh, of of commissioning, I think. And so yeah, but but to answer your question. You know your first part, which is which is really important. I, uh, yes, I, I am concerned. I think everyone, even if they're not vocal about it, um, 
everyone in the industry is concerned about space debris and um, kind of, uh, I mean, having a, a disaster event where you have, you know, an exponential propagation of of a uh, of, of debris that that a debris field that that basically denies us access to low Earth orbit for you know a century, you know that that's kind of the worst case scenario. Um, it does make me nervous when Elon Musk says that he's going to launch forty two thousand Starlink satellites in the next six or seven years. Um, that it, it's uh, I don't have a great you know solution to this. I know there are some companies that are working on it. Um, I like the company Astroscale or something, some Japanese company is looking at um, about ways to do kind of debris mitigation. Uh, and, and there's some other, you know, kind of thought leaders in that area too. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I think it, it, it is something that, you know, we're, yeah, we're, we're not trying to launch thousands of satellites. Like I said, we're, we have a constellation of six satellites, which we think mm -hmm. is, is a modest number that gives us a very wide range of coverage. Um, but yeah, if you're doing, uh, you know, if you're trying to provide internet or some kind of mega constellation, uh, then you right. need these huge numbers. And, and it, it, it's, it, it is, I, I think everyone should be conscious of it and everyone should, and therefore there should be a plan to help mitigate those efforts when you're doing these mega constellations. What scare, yeah, what scares the hell out of you the most? I mean, is it, you know, is it like you, you said, you've got a room of PhDs, uh, you know, obviously it's, 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 you know, what you're doing requires a very technical mindset to grow your business. Are you able to get the people, you know, you talk about space debris and, and that, what do you, you know, what, you know, what challenges, what, what's the biggest challenge you, you fear most about your business? Um, well, you know, I mean, I think that there are a, I mean, get, getting good people in it is always a challenge. Um, I, think, I mean, that's a good thing in, in a good way, right? I mean, that there's a lot of, you know, that a lot of good companies out there that are competing for for similar talent pools. Um, and so, but yeah, that's always been a challenge and we're going through a, a rapid hiring process right now. And, um, but I think we've been getting good candidates. I mean, space debris is something that's, uh, a bit, I mean, it's, it's, it's like a, it's, it's something that I'm, I'm always concerned about, but it's not, you know, top of mind necessarily at this point. Um, and, and I'm just, I'm happy that there are at least some people that are, that recognize it's a problem and are, and are trying to do something about it. So that, that's at least a, a good mm -hmm. step in the right direction. Um, you know, our, our biggest thing right now is we, the, the double-edged sword of Silicon Valley is that, you know, yes, there's, lots of innovation and so access to capital and you can grow your company. That also means that everyone else has that same opportunity as well. So you have to constantly be looking at the surrounding competitive environment. And while, well, I did just earlier say that I think that, you know, no one has intense rivalries right now and, you know, uh, rising tide raises all boats. I think that we're getting to a point where we are going to have a shakeout of, you know, who, who's going to rise to the top, Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then there's either going to be, uh, you know, failures or consolidation or, or acquisitions or whatever that's going to be. Um, and so especially right now, when you're looking at the crazy investment environment we're in today, where a company could effectively come out of nowhere and, and do a SPAC and all of a sudden they have a huge yeah. amount of capital at their hand on their hands. Um, and and can throw that around and and really disrupt this area, um, and and perhaps you know 
pick pick a, a winner that maybe does not deserve to be a winner because they don't right. really have you know it's like the old uh what uh Betamax versus VHS kind of a thing or whatever mm -hmm. it's gonna be right like you not the tech the best technology and the best solution doesn't always win um if if the 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 scales are are weighted against you and so right. um this this SPAC instrument is um I mean, it, it's crazy because I think it, it can it can definitely tip the scales in in a direction that maybe um, shouldn't wouldn't naturally evolve in that direction, and that can create. Um, I think that could do some damage. Um, yeah. At the same okay, time, it's also well. Sorry. I'm <laughs> seeing some stupid. I'm seeing some stupid stuff. I like, really, yeah. you know, in the aviation aerospace. You know, some spacks mm -hmm. are coming. I was looking at one today, and I was going to write a. A very sarcastic blog about it and i thought now nah, i'll just keep i'll just keep my thoughts to myself but um right. you know i'm seeing i'm seeing stuff out there with you know like three yeah three boy three four billion dollar valuations all of a sudden you know mm -hmm. like, what's the business case behind this so i, I get it right. um what's your i mean where do you see your you know you're you're, you're obviously you, you you've raised a lot of capital you've got a couple satellites up in orbit you're you're, you're doing your thing you've got some customers do you, do you, what do you, what do you see this, you know, what do you, what do you, what's your ultimate goal? You know, you've got six satellites now, is it 10 and taking it into some new, you know, you know some new verticals or what, uh, you know, what are you thinking? Yeah. Well, so the, the six satellites that we'll have, once we have those all deployed, um, you know, that, that will certainly service our initial uh, pipeline monitoring market, but then uh, we have capacity to expand within the energy sector and the defense sector um, to cover uh, some new products. Uh, so that's really our goal right now. Um, and, and to stay within like energy and defense, I think mm -hmm. that those are our sweet spots. Um, there's been a lot of, a lot of people uh, keep pushing agriculture, um, which I I'm a bit more bearish on. Um, it's also very crowded that field, but uh, energy, I think there's a, a huge amount of room for growth there. Uh, so you know, we are focused on midstream right now, but going um, downstream to fix facilities, monitoring mm -hmm. those like refineries, mm -hmm. uh, going which we're already doing actually today, going upstream to uh, wells, you know, oil wells and facilities there, which again we're all also still doing today, but just not at scale. Um, I think exploration, which I mentioned before, is really uh, a, a really high growth area for us, and not for I, I don't know if I buy that, you know, traditional energy exploration, like, like searching for new oil right. fields is necessarily like a high growth, like really long-term play at this point. Uh, I mean, it, it is at least for the next few years, but I think that what everyone's recognizing is that, you know, new energy exploration is going to be really important. Um, energy storage materials like lithium and cobalt are really vital, rare earth elements, um, uh, that kind of exploration. And then, uh, uh, new natural gas sources, so the uh, so non-carbon uh, fossil fuels uh, like hydrogen. Um, those are those are areas that hyperspectral can really uh, aid in in that those exploration events and help unlock the, these you know trillion dollar new energy economies. And so that is where I see orbital sidekick making a lot of headway over the next few years um, within that energy and defense sector. And then 
the, the or and then on the defense sector side, we're just getting a lot of interest from uh, the intelligence community in general. So gotcha. I, I can't talk a whole lot about no, we won't. specifics we won't. on it, but but that that obviously is another area. And then the last plug I want to make because I think it's important too, and I, it falls within the energy sector, but I think it also falls in, within the broader kind of sustainability area because I think it's you know the, uh, there's a, a lot of focus on you know methane. Uh, monitoring, right? Um, and there's like GHG SAD and, and some other companies are doing a great job with, you know, ob- ob- uh, objectively monitoring and characterizing methane plumes from super emitters. And that's like fantastic. And, and I love that effort they're doing. Um, we have the capability to to monitor for methane emission with, with our capability. It's, it's not our, our, our main focus, but um, one the, another thing that we're focusing on, though, we, you know, certainly we want to help reduce our global carbon footprint, as is everyone, right? Um, one thing we've discovered is that uh, almost twenty percent of the global carbon footprint uh, is due to global wildfires, and while so wildfires is a, is a huge problem, and, and a huge amount of that is man-made from things like electric power lines. Mm-hmm. So we're also working. You know, we'll be working with utilities later this year to help monitor electric power lines and identifying high risk areas, uh, basically a fire risk tool, if you will, for monitoring. So like, you know, again, California, huge issues, right? We have fire season all year Mm -hmm. round now, basically. Um, Can we help PG&E by showing them, you know, they have so many miles of power lines that they can't consistently monitor them, Um, you know. Uh, with with manpower, they, they need a persistent monitoring source. So satellites are great for that. And moreover, they need to know what are the highest risk areas because they mm-hmm. can't deploy everyone to all places at all times. So sure. it's a big tool for us that we'll be deploying in the second half of this year. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the other side of energy uh, beyond like oil and gas, looking at actual electric utilities. Um, our, our board member, Nick Stavropoulos, is actually the former president of PG&E. Uh, so we, we've got, um, you know, some, some good people on our, in our corner there. Uh, and, and so I think, you know, that's, that's a good way that it's, it's a, it's a product that of course we think is, is a, is a solid one. We can, we can certainly make money off of it, but more than that, we can actually make a real big difference, um, it's a, it's a in, good in the world. Thing, and so too. really happy about that. What's uh, what did you find the biggest challenge going from kind of, you know, I was a corporate guy to. Startup guy to CEO. Now you're running your you're, you're running your company. What was the uh, what was the biggest uh, mindset change that you had to make? Uh, well, um, I think going from um, working as a technical focused person who you know likes to get their hands dirty and, and work with hardware and work with analysis and things like that, and then. Um, basically doing a, a series of crash courses through incubators and accelerators and online courses and just sitting down with mentors and advisors over the last few years just to really kind of do a, a, a customized MBA program, if you will, to, to recognize that you know, my job now is not, you know, my, my team does not need me to get in there and do the analysis or build, build the sensors right. or things like that. Um, I, my job is to hire people who are smarter than me, who can execute those positions and who can and move forward and, and, and help 
to scale our, our culture of innovation and, and agility. And um, actually the, the, the three biggest, I think culture is really big and, and being able to be the, um, the leader in terms of helping to sustain that culture as we grow. That, that's actually been really interesting too, because we spent the first couple of years, you know, just kind of a very small group within Orbital Sidekick. It was myself and my co-founder for the first year. Then, then we brought in our first employee. Then we kind of scaled a little bit slowly in the, in the beginning. Now we're growing very quickly. So understanding how we, how we scale and grow, that's a huge challenge to, to evolve into. Um, but again, leaning on mentors and advisors are, are, is critical recognizing that as long as I stick to our, our basic tenets um, within our culture, which for us are um, uh, equity, ownership, and transparency, and, and really hammering that home to, to our team and making sure everyone's aligned on that, um, you know, that, that's just been really important. So, you know, it, it's, it's a bit of, yeah, sure. I, I think I've evolved quite a bit, but so has everyone uh, over the last few years. And, and I think, um, uh, you know, it was a little bit of a sink or swim, but I, I, I think I thrived in that environment. Who's been your best mentor? Board members or equity guys or? You know, I think you know, we've like, had. Who's helped yeah. you out the most? Uh, I mean, I'm going to take the political uh, response here because I don't want to piss anyone off. We, we can skip uh, that. But, uh, no, 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 no. I was going to say, I, I mean, every, everyone's been great. Um, I, I think I've had some. Some people are, you know, board members have actually been, I mean, have been amazing. Um, and I've already gave a shout out to, to Nick. Um, but, but I think you know, we, we had some really early, we had some early advisors on the energy side who really helped us really understand the oil and gas sector and, and the problems, like the very specific problems there uh, that are critical. Um, and we had some folks on the, on the, um, the incubator side that really helped us out too. Uh, I'll, I'll, Give a shout out to Ellen Chang uh, at uh, Syndicate 708, previously at Lightspeed Innovations. She's done an amazing job um, and deserves more recognition in, in the industry. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, it, it definitely takes a village. Um, and I've been very fortunate to have uh, strong support. That's a great, I mean, it's a great place to be. Congratulations on all this session. You know, it's, uh... I was, I was I was looking through your website and reading a bunch of stuff and it's it's really it's 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 fun to see how far you've come and really not a long time. I mean it's been a pretty what five five, six years now is all right. And from yeah, it's, con it's been concept a, to uh, I guess yeah, I guess the you know from from uh cocktail napkin to nap till now it's been about five years. Yep. That's pretty good, uh that's a pretty good track record when you think about what it takes to get satellites up into space and all the backbone behind it. Yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah. No, it's been it's been quite a ride. So you come back on and tell us your success down the road. Absolutely. Yeah. Happy to come back on anytime. So Dan, thanks, Dan Katz, with uh, the CEO, co-founder of Orbital Sidekick. Um, how do people website? What's your website? Orbitalsidekick.com. Trying to make it pretty easy for Is folks. There a way people can get a hold of you. Uh, I mean, you can always uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, uh, or, you know, you can email us, the, the company at info at orbitalsidekick.com. Um, great way to, to, to get a hold of us. Thanks for coming on, Dan. Appreciate it. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Good luck. I hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Aerospace Executive Podcast. You can reach out to me directly, Craig at northstaresg.com. 
or check us out at www.northstaresg.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or on YouTube. Just do a search for Aerospace Executive Podcast. Thanks again. I'm Craig Pippen.